Well, you're in your little room And you're working on something good But if it's really good You're gonna need a bigger room And when you're in the bigger room You might not know what to do You might have to think of how you got started Sitting in your little room da -da -da. Saturday, September 20th, 2014. It's 9 p.m. and it's hot here in Portland, Oregon. It's 84 degrees. I'm Jack Miller. And I'm Shannon Emerson. This is White Tiger Radio. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. So, uh, Shannon, what's, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, you know, I, I try to be a tolerant person. Actually, it's, that's not true. But some of my best friends are tolerant people. Uh, but then you're driving around Portland and you turn a corner and there are six people still walking down the street on a Wednesday at 2.30 in the afternoon. I mean, I can understand if you're at a coffee shop on a Wednesday at 2.30 at in the afternoon and you're talking about how terrified you are as a former vegan to eat meat for the first time, but still walking down the street and they weren't even smiling and they weren't, they were actually walking with traffic. They weren't even walking against traffic on their stilts and they didn't seem to be having any fun. And, uh, and boulevards, why do people get so nutty when you're going across a boulevard, you're going to be turning left. Why don't people stay right? They never stay right. They get all crazy in the middle of the boulevard and they think that they need to be on the left side because they're turning left for some reason, but that goes against everything that we know about traffic. But they do it consistently. And then, and then there's Joe Cocker. I mean, that guy got famous, what, for doing covers and gesticulating? Is he any better than Weird Al Yankovic? I don't know. But like I said, some of my best friends are very tolerant people. So they don't have these problems. Wow. That's, uh, I understand the stilt walker thing. I definitely understand the boulevard thing, but you can't take down Joe Cocker like that. I just did. I know you did. And I, I'm just, it's, it's, I, I've never time. thought you were a tolerant person. So that it was not that it shocked me. I'm not one of those people who thinks that you're tolerant. I knew that you would be disappointed about my, my, uh, opinions of Joe Cocker, but I think you just said it just to get to me. I'm not buying it. I think you said it just to throw me off my game tonight. Like, it's not hot enough. It's September 20th, and it's 84 degrees it's 9 p.m. It's ridiculous. Where's fall? It's ridiculous. I think this is the last weekend of summer. It better be the last of this summertime. I'm going to get serious about believing this whole, like, climate change, global warming. I mean, I, you know, I've been it's kind not, of casual about it before. We're, I think we're I'm having gonna get a nice time about. here. Don't, don't bring, bring up climate up. change and global warming. We're having a nice time. You started it with the Joe Cocker. That has nothing to do with it global warming. threw me warming. off my game. It's, that's all Joe Cocker's fault. Okay. Well, let's talk about tonight's show. For tonight's show, we issued a writing challenge. Uh, we sent each of our performers a vintage photograph of complete strangers. Um, and these are things we've just picked up at various shops and thrift stores around town. Uh, and we gave the photo to 
the writers, and we gave them a week to write and record a story, 250 words or less, inspired by the photo. Uh, now, if you want to play along at home tonight and see the photos that inspired the stories, you can go to whitetigerradio.com. You can go there right now and see the photos, or you can just go in blind and the stories will the stories will stand for themselves the stories stand I for think. themselves but if you're but we curious, are trying we used to do this type of uh writing challenge as not as a radio show so we're sort of trying this for the first time as a radio show and uh i think that the stories will stand for themselves but the pictures will just add a little bit of something if you want to it's called multimedia look at it multi-dimensional yeah, it's interactive or you could just sit back you know put the popcorn bowl in your lap and enjoy this as radio and not have any kind of multimedia experience, just a one media experience. Uh, so that's what we're going to do for the show tonight. Um, this is our season two premiere, and uh, we're going to try to make it as, uh, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, entertaining. Awesome. Awesome. No, we can't no. use the word awesome. No, we we're can't editing that out. That's edited Straight out. Bat. Edit it out. Okay, here we go. Strap yourselves in. Well, of course, Estelle, the queen baker, brought over a birthday cake. She took the blue ribbon for her buttermilk biscuits at the county fair this summer, and the girls and I have listened to her brag about it at Pinochle for weeks. My husband Ed raved about it and kept murmuring about how great her biscuits must be, so she brought him a whole basket of freshly made biscuits one day, all wrapped in a tea towel covered in Valentine's hearts. Worst part was... Ed ate them all in one day, like I starve him. Jam was smeared all over his mouth. But that idiot never got her love note she stuck in with those biscuits. I did. Tore it right up. Now she went and baked this cake, pretending she cares that it's my birthday. She's really just over here to see Ed. And I see the way Ed watches her smoke those nasty cool menthols, acting all mesmerized by her every move. She went into our kitchen just now to get plates, and Ed jumped up to follow her, then remembered me sitting there and caught himself. But I have a secret, too. See, when the girls and I had coffee at Estelle's on Monday, I dumped a bag of arsenic in her flour canister, hoping she'd just eventually do Ed and herself in with all those blue ribbon biscuits. I think she might have seen me do it. And now I have to eat this cake.
As they pulled into their final destination, he could feel his skin crawl, sick with the thought of the summer's heat and the insufferable sensation of sand finding its way into his socks. He had dreaded this trip. If there was one thing Hogarth McCarthy hated, it was beach-bound whimsy. But damn it how he loved the ladies, and the ladies were always whimsically beach-bound. Ladies always love summer, he thought to himself, smiling. Hogarth's mind began to wander back to old memories of beaches, of ladies. How many had there been, he thought to himself. Hundreds? Thousands? Hogarth smiled again. But despite all his sexual conquests, Hogarth, now in his eighties and suffering from both impotence and incontinence, found himself simply happy in the company of his two dear friends, Ruby and Tabitha. Ruby and Tabitha had once collectively been known as the Narwhal Sisters and had reigned as the leading synchronized swimming duo in all of Vermont, but their glory days had long since faded and they were left now to live amidst the solace of the Ancient Oaks Nursing Home, the premier care facility for the elderly in their rustic beach town. My heavens, started Ruby Narwhal, it's rather hot this afternoon. Indeed, agreed Tabitha Narwhal, it's a terribly hot day. Insatiably hot, added Horace, a slick grin slowly crossing his face. Then they spent the next six hours on the beach complaining about how temperate they were, because that's how old people like to have fun.
care about Carol Ann's new rocking chair. That chair is for babies. I've got my eye on something way better. It's over there under the tree with all the other presents. That cardboard box. I know my dad thinks I haven't noticed it, but I did. I've been watching it. It wasn't there before, but it is now. I think I saw it move. 
Mom says birds are dirty and I can't have a white dove, but I need one for my magic tricks. Maybe she's fooling me. Maybe it is my dove. But if it is, why so quiet? It should be making dove noises and trying to fly out of the box. Did that box just move? Maybe it's a puppy. Could it be a puppy? Mom says we have to wait for Carol Ann to be a little older. It's always Carol Ann. Carol Ann, Carol Ann, Carol Ann. She's old enough, and I know she wants a puppy, too. It could be both of ours. Uncle Jed is always saying every kid needs a puppy. Well, I'm a kid, and I need a puppy. Or a white dove for magic tricks. I can't take it. I need to see inside that box. Wait, it definitely moved. All right, that was uh, our first set, proving that you can say a lot in 250 words. Absolutely. Concision is king. You can practically write an entire novel. Heck yeah. Uh, that was, uh, we just heard, uh, White Dove Christmas by Diane Moreau. Before that, we heard a David Johansson song called Funky But Chic. Not Funky But Chic, <laughs> which is what I know. Not, I thought that song was for many that's years. A, that's a bad song title, but... It's catchy. Funky But Chic is a great song title. Uh, before that, we had Ancient Oaks Beach Vacation by Curtis Cook. The song before that story was You're No Good by Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt, who was, uh, ha, let's see, her romantic history involves, let's just say, Jerry Brown and George Lucas. Wow. Did you know that? I didn't know about she Jerry Brown. She dated Jerry Brown when he was running for president, when he was... The first time he was governor of California. Really young guy. In the 70s. Wow. Everything happened in the 70s. It did. And Linda Ronstadt did most of it. That song, You're No Good, went to number one on the Billboard chart in 1975. And that album, Heart Like a Wheel, also went to number one and spent a long time on the charts. I think something like 55 weeks on the chart. Not at number one, but yeah. That's a fantastic... The whole record is great. I've listened to the whole record quite a bit recently because that song just got in my head. I, I couldn't stop listening. Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt, you're not good. Uh, we started that set with Estelle by Bridget Bagard. And that was a story based on a photograph that you can take a look at if you want on whitetigerradio.com, or you can just imagine what it is that Bridget saw when she wrote that story. I I'm su- still wondering. I would suggest looking at the photograph. I would suggest that, that photo has a lot. It doesn't need the photograph, but when you look at the photograph, it's... It, it takes it to a whole new right. level. Maybe wait until after the show and go to the website and take a look at it then because, you know, you, won't, you don't want to be distracted. There's a lot going on there. I want to know, it's killing me, does she eat the cake? I mean, obviously that's, the ending leaves me, I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I love a story that leaves me thinking. What's next? Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about today. Uh, as, oh, I sa- you know, as I said at the top of the hour... Um, I know. What's the date again? Today is September 20th. September 20th. It seems like it's, I feel like something happened on September 20th. Is that, is there, do you know anything that happened? Yes, I do. And I've been thinking about it an awful lot. And I'm glad to hear that you've been kind of, you know, it's in the ether. Um, September 20th, 2001 was the day that George Bush, do you remember George Bush? Uh, yeah. George W. Bush. Yeah. When he was president, it just seemed like so long. Uh, but now it really just seems like it was way in the past. But 13 years ago today, in 2001, George Bush gave a uh, speech before a joint session of Congress where he declared the war on terror. So September 20th was the day 
that the war on terror was declared mm. by the President of the United States. It also happens to be the day, and it's 200 years ago today, the day in 1814 when the Star-Spangled Banner, now our national anthem, as you I'm sure know, uh, was published as a song with the lyrics by Francis Scott Key, of course, and the uh, music by John Stafford Smith. It had been published as a poem earlier in the year. Today, 200 years ago, it was published as a song. Now, it was still a long way so from becoming the, the national anthem. So what was the deal with people in the early 1800s? Like, like it's got to be three names. I yeah. Can't, two's not enough. Francis Scott Key, John Stafford Smith. Yeah, I think it I was... Mean, Probably there were a lot of people who had the same names as each other because I don't. I think back then they hadn't invented a lot of the names, don't you think? Like there was just so they had to use the middle name to kind of differentiate. There were fewer people though, you know. Could've, oh, could have been. You know, I, I didn't do the math on that one. Francis Key. Frankie Key. He'd be Frankie, Frankie Key, Key today, and he would have totally. You got know, his friends just call him Key. Key. Oh hell yeah. Hey Key, how's that song doing? I think it's gonna be the national anthem someday. And they're like, don't know, you're gonna get a big head. Don't think that. Yeah. Uh, so. Given that, that it was the George Bush uh, War on Terror anniversary and the bicentennial of the publication of our now national anthem, I kind of put together, I wanted to put together a little tribute to September 20th. And uh, here... <laughs> Did you really? Here's my tribute to September 20th. Let's give it a listen. All right, let's go. Great harm has been done to us. We have suffered great loss. And in our grief and anger, we have found our mission and our moment. Freedom and fear are at war. The advance of human freedom, the great achievement of our time and the great hope of every time, now depends on us. Our nation, this generation, will lift a dark threat of violence from our people and our future. We will rally the world to this cause by our efforts, by our courage. We will not tire we will not falter, and we will not fail. proceeds with time and grace but our resolve must not pass each of us will remember what happened that day and to whom it happened we'll remember the moment the news came where we were and what we were doing there it is September 20th tribute that was 13 years ago that George Bush gave 
what, when you read it on paper, is a tremendous and inspiring speech. Just think if George C. Scott could have read that speech. Oh. It would have... Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Barack Obama. Pretty much almost anybody. <laughs> could have read, that, read that. You could have read that speech. It would be more inspiring. It gave me chills when I read it on paper uh, recently. And then I heard George Bush like, well, okay. So we had Jimi Hendrix doing the Star Spangled Banner underneath of that, which is a truly inspired. He took that uh, John Stafford Smith tune and tore it up. That was a recording from Woodstock, 1969. Uh, now in the middle there, uh, I had forgot to mention before I played my little tribute that another thing that happened on September 20th in 1973 uh, was the Battle of the Sexes tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs when Billie Jean King showed that women were not inferior, and she beat uh, Bobby Riggs in that match. That was Howard Cosell with the call. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are a couple other things that happened on September 20th. One of them very sad, which is that Jim Croce died at the age of 30 in a plane crash on that very same day of the Battle of Sexist Tennis Match, September 20th, 1973. Um, That was a big loss. Imagine the music that Jim Croce would have made if he'd lived even to be 35. Uh, And finally... This is one of my favorite September 20th uh, um, facts. In 1881, Chester A. Arthur was sworn in in the wee hours of the morning as the 21st president. The 20th president, James Garfield, had just died after lingering for two months um, from a gunshot wound inflicted by a frustrated office seeker who wanted a job and Garfield didn't give it to him, so he shot him. I thought I told you never to mention Chester A. Arthur on this radio show. <laughs> you did tell me that, but then I think I thought I implied at least that you shouldn't be running down Joe Cocker, and so I think that all, all agreements implied or explicit are now have been torn up and thrown out. Are we even for now? I think, well... Until we're not again? I, I think so. Uh, so that's September 20th, day in history, quite a day, uh... I think that probably it's time to return to White Tiger 250 and get on with another story. Again, follow along, play along at home at whitetigerradio.com. Here we go. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome to my garage for another installment. What a horrible word that is, installment. Another installment of WTR. I'm excited about today's interview. It was uh, it was really good. Uh, solid. Um, lots of information, a few twists that uh, you won't see coming. I, I certainly didn't see them coming, but you'll like it. At least you should. I think you'll like it. I liked it. There's no reason you should like it. But before I get to the interview, which you'll like, I'm a little, I'm a little amped up. I'm a little fueled um, because I saw it again. We've talked about it before. That picture of George Nelson, you've seen it, we've all seen it, the George Nelson picture, in his blue shirt, standing in front of that starburst wall clock, with his glasses in his pocket, and, uh, you know, a pipe. George Nelson, he should have he smoked a pipe. I think a pipe would have fit him well. Would have fit him well. But no pipe, but that fucking wall clock. And it's been said over and over again. He said it. He said it on 60 Minutes to Mike Wallace. He said, he said, Mike, that's not my clock. The picture you showed, that's not my clock. 
And Mike Wallace. He's fucking Mike Wallace. He didn't say anything. He just blew right past it. Like it, like, like, like it was, uh, I don't know. Hey, Mike, there's something on your coat. No, it was, he was making a stand, finally saying, that's not my fucking clock. And Mike Wallace didn't do anything. Just moved right into the interview. Well, I'm saying something. I'm saying it. Let it be heard. Let it be known and understood. That, that clock is not a George Nelson designed wall clock. He designed many, but that one's not his. Stop saying it is. I, okay. Let's get to the interview. Tell me how phones up. Louder. said lots of things about presidents' wives. She was an ex-Presbyterian nunnish lady, and now that she was free, she was out, in a Missouri sort of way. Whether it was a nice day or not, we'd go down to the lake, take the boat out, and let it drift. Penny would pull up in her white gremlin, grab a couple beers from the hatchback window, and light a cigarette. She smoked Pall Malls and hardly ate. She still kept the Bible on her front seat, and she'd say things like, Thank God for Lady Bird's shrewd ass. Or, Jesus, Jackie knew how to do it all. Then she'd show you the pictures she cut out of magazines and newspapers, first ladies of the United States at various times in their lives, 
which she cut into perfect squares, laminated and lined the interior of her car above the windshield. She'd tell you random facts about them, what they ate, whether they did their own laundry on holiday, what kind of relationship they had with God. She had facts, she had questions, and she had dreams. Jules's attitude about Penny's first lady obsession was the attitude she had about life in general. Dealing with it. Just dealing with it. Penny had this reoccurring dream that she was drag racing to church with all the first ladies and that they were all driving matching gremlins and that Penny was the coach and Penny kept trying to say, you're doing great ladies, but the ladies were flying by and Penny's voice wasn't working. Okay, that was dealing with it, or excuse me, dealing with it, no G, by Consuelo Wise and... uh I had to just mention that her photograph is a is a very beautiful photograph of two women, and it's hard to even know what their relationship is. And I think that Consuelo has given us a story where it might still be hard to imagine what their relationship is, but at least she's uh, she's thrown something out there for us to think about. Before that, we had a song by Kanye West and Jay Z, "Gotta Have It." That's from Watch the Throne, which was released on August eighth, two thousand eleven. Uh, and I just, I, I really just love to listen to that song because of the backing vocals. Um, but my favorite line on that album is not in that song. That song has many great lines. My favorite line on the whole album is on the next song, New Day. And that line is, and I'll, this is terrible. I'm going to read this in my, Don't. she's shaking her head. No, you gonna, I'm not going to be waved off. I never <laughs> let him ever hit a strip club. I learned the hard way. That ain't the place to get love. Now that's a great line, but I just, can't help thinking that if you're smart enough to write all these really brilliant rap songs and Watch the Throne is an amazing album, you probably didn't need to learn that lesson the hard way. Like, you probably could have intuited that the strip club isn't a place to get love. You're shaking your head. So now you're analyzing rap music? I'm not analyzing it. I'm just reacting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm just talking. Maybe it's probably, I guess the problem here is I'm I'm expressing my feelings. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's not, this is not the place for expressing your feelings. All right. That, that's true. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was definitely, I, I'm, I'm crossing all kinds of boundaries, and that's a boundary I shouldn't have crossed. Chester A. Arthur and now feelings. Okay. Consider me chastised. Okay. We began that set with World TikTok Review, all one word, by Tate Emerson. Um, and that was the set that we just heard. Shannon, do you have other things on your mind right now, or should we just uh, march on with more, more stories I based on should, photos? I think we should march on. We, All right. we need to get a move on. We're going to march on with this one. The scene is the inside of the KTPL offices at 6.42 p.m., just after the 6 o'clock news. Skip is walking past the office of Tex Stebbins, the station manager. Skip, get in here. Yeah, boss. What in the hell are you doing out there? How many times have I told you... Not to put a happy birthday story just after a murder-for-hire story? How many goddamn times? Yeah, uh, sorry, boss. That slipped past me today. That won't happen again. Skip, do you see that picture on the wall there? Uh, the one with the racing cars? Yes, that one. I sure as hell ain't pointing to the cat hanging onto a branch poster that HR made me put there. Hang in there, commie bastards. Uh, yeah, what about the picture? That is a 1986 Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. Special event was planned for about three years. I was a cameraman stationed at Corner 7. 
That was the view from my camera location. I snapped that photo with a Kodak RF 435 with an f-stop of 7. Anyways, that picture was taken just before the accident. Uh, I think I remember that accident. Didn't someone wreck and parts went everywhere? I think someone died. Yes. Ari Leyendike was breaking hard and trying to pass some damn French driver. Skidded in the grass and wrecked. Pieces of hot metal and petrol were everywhere. Thing is that I saw the same thing happen to an Unser the day before during practice. I was there. Unser came out of corner six with too much speed. Skidded in the grass. Car crap cracks up and pieces fly into the stands. See, I talked to the safety guys and said, Isn't that an issue for the race? There were no fans there for the practice, but during the race... Anyway, I asked the race supervisor about it. You know what he said? He said, won't happen again. Well, it did happen, and a man died. A good na- man. His name was Mitch Kupchak. Uh, did you know Mitch, boss? I did. He was my production assistant that week. Son of a bitch was a worker. Sorry for your loss, boss. Ah, it was a long time ago. Anyway, don't ever say won't happen again to me. Just do your damn job. getting fucked in the ears by the roar of the engines, peeling my thighs off the benches, how the sweat pooled under my tits, making my halter sag. I hated the men, drunk and leechy, and the mass of circling heads moving in unison. 
and I never understood why they built the tracks in the hottest places in the goddamn U.S. I kept telling Daddy his love of the sport was wasted on me. He liked to remind me that when he was dead, I'd be thankful we had all this time together. It was the year we drove to Texas for the semifinals. We surprised Ricky on his couch, pants around his ankles. He couldn't turn it off fast enough, and both Daddy and I saw it. Daddy grabbed my hand and backed us right out the door. In the car, he said choice words that went something like, a man's sport, disown, no son of mine, and queer little pussy. She found me in the bathroom, hiding from all the drunken yahoos. We smoked cigs while she admired my rack. Her eyes got bright when she talked about her love of cars and how she was planning to be a driver someday. I got excited, thinking about her putting her hands on me, the way she described gripping the wheel. I may have screamed, I love NASCAR. I don't care what daddy says. I think a queer little pussy makes racing a whole lot better. That was I Love NASCAR by Heather Heater. What does NASCAR stand for? North American Stock Car Association of Racing? No. No. That's too simple. National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. Of course, not North American. Canadians don't race cars. That's so wasteful of the environment. Hmm. Uh, Before that was uh, Waitress Song by Freak Water. And the story we started this set with was Do Your Job by Skip Papadopoulos. Our very Uh, own Skip. Our very own Skip. Um, Thanks for that story, Skip. I'm enjoying the name dropping that's happening so far tonight. We've got Mike Wallace, Ari Leyendijk. An auto racer. Oh. An uh, unser. I heard an unser mentioned there. A Dutch. Oh, wow. Auto racer. Ari Leyendijk. He's just, you know, again. You grew up with races on the TV. Yeah. In your home on Sundays, didn't you? Yes. And in fact, that was I know a familiar you name. Yeah. Mike Wallace, 60 Minutes. Ari Leyendijk. Mike Wallace. Race cars. Uh, don't even, I mean, you know what I'm going to say now, right? <laughs> I don't, actually. Believe it or not. Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin. Didn't even know her. I know. Jimmy Carter? The 70s names. Okay. We can't. Right. So luckily that was not a 70s song. That was uh, a 1990s song. Money can't buy happiness, but neither can just be in poor. That's a great line by Freakwater. They've got it there. They nailed it. Uh, We had a couple of race-oriented stories there, but not a race-oriented song. Not being themey tonight. That's a... I threw the word in themey. I've been dying. I've been itching. You're not being themey, but you're still going to use the word. Well, I have to mention it. Yeah, see, this borders on talking about my feelings. We got to move on. Let's just move on. We're moving on. Ever since I saw this picture, I haven't been able to sleep. The image is sort of burned into my mind. It's, it's like when you look at the sun and the after image is imprinted in your retina so you can close your eyes and you'll still see a red disc, you know, uh, standing for the sun, but it's in, it's, maybe it's in your eyes or maybe it's in your cortex of your brain. It's, you still see it. 
Hey, if you don't mind, I'm gonna play a little music, alright? Oh, remember I was telling you about that mixtape I made? I'm gonna put on right now. Let's see. I think you will like this. Please continue. Just let me know when you're ready. I'll wait for you. Okay, very good. So tell me again about this dream. It's not, no, I, no, you're not understanding me. It's not a, it's not a dream. It, this is a photograph. I'm talking about a photograph. Hold on, let me take some notes. The I'm going to take notes. image of what you're is, it's sort of haunting because, well, let me tell you what it is. What do you think of this drawing? What does it look like to you? I don't really think that's is it amusing. a very good drawing. It's not, I don't. It's not a very good drawing. It's, to me, that shows that you don't have any artistic skill. Now, let me get back to this image. What it is, is, uh, it's like, I think it, it looks to me like it's, it's a couple of generations of women, or two women. And maybe it's mother and daughter, or, they're, they're sitting on a couch together, but, but one woman is looking away. The younger woman. She's looking away. She's looking to her right. And sitting on her left is the woman who appears to be her mother, who's looking sort of askance at the woman who I think is the daughter, sitting in sort of the center of the, of the picture. It's not an approving glance. It's a glance, she's sort of downcast eyes, like, you didn't meet my expectations. They're both wearing these kind of wild print dresses. They're, one, the, the older woman is in a black and white, and there's like a sateen collar, and, and the sleeves end in these big sateen bands. The, the daughter is, is wearing a more stylish dress, but this is, I don't know, probably sometime in the 1960s. And the, the, even the daughter is not, she's not a, a, a young woman. And I think when I look at this picture, that there was just a lot of unmet expectations in these lives. And these people don't love each other. And now that I'm, I'm looking at it from many decades later, I'm aware of the fact that they're both dead. These, these are, this is a picture, it captures an image of the life of two dead people. And it's not a happy image. And it, it just makes me think that we have to do as best as we can, as often as we can, in our lives. Because it's going to be gone before we even know. Phillips, hold on one second. Let me interrupt you. What do you think it is that this dream represents? It's, it's not a dream. I'm not talking about a dream. I'm talking about a photograph, an actual photograph I saw. I tell you what I think your dream means. I don't... Now I want you to take this knowing full well that I am a dream analyst expert. People come to me to analyst their dreams. 
for years the most renowned people in the field of dreams will come to me to have them analyze because this is what I do and I tell you this is what I think your story to me means that if someone takes your picture you will die it's not really I think I just explained what it's telling I would like to continue this session but my favorite song is playing so I really wish you would leave now. well I thank you okay you know what you're right and I'll I'll leave I don't want to interrupt your music listening Thank you for the love you brought my way You gave to me your all in all And now I feel ten feet tall Sunny one so true I love you Three, four Now, Denny, don't forget to come on stage as soon as Linda says, but that's not even my dog. It was about this time every year that Mavis showed up at dress rehearsal to give the cast her notes. Mavis had no official involvement in the theater department, but she'd somehow managed to use her position as school secretary to garner an unrivaled amount of power over both staff and students. 
Anyone who knew Mavis knew that 20 years ago, she'd been the star of Pleasanton High's winter play. It was something she loved to talk about. What she didn't talk about was the fact that Annabelle, who'd been cast as the lead that year, had had an accident on her way home from rehearsal the night before the play opened. As Annabelle had explained it later, she'd been riding her bike home when her tires suddenly locked up, sending her sailing over the handlebars. By the time her body came to a stop, she'd broken her nose in two places. The next day, Mavis was up early and arrived at school just as the music director was walking into the teacher's lounge. She followed him in and shyly mentioned that even though he hadn't chosen her to play the lead this year, she'd learned all the lines anyway and was willing to fill in for Annabelle if he thought it was appropriate. Linda, please focus on me. Is there something you'd rather be doing right now? Because I'm only trying to help. That's right. Mavis was just trying to help. And I don't think those kids appreciated it very much. That was a story by our very own Shannon Emerson called The Day Annabelle Went Down. And before that, we heard the Parquet Courts doing Dear Ramona. That's from their uh, recently released album. It came out in June, Sunbathing Animal. And... We started off that set with a, an untitled piece by Phillips and Flathead. Uh, they have a radio show on Friday nights. I think they're on kind of a contractually obligated break right now. But they normally air on Friday nights at 10 p.m. And uh, that's what we do on Friday nights when they're, when they're broadcasting. Phillips and Flathead Radio. That was Phillips with a photograph I sent him and then Flathead hijacking the situation as he always does. And we had some uh, music in the background there, Sunny. And I didn't recognize what was before that. Did you recognize that, Shannon? Um. Something from a mixtape. I'd like to get a hold of that mixtape. Well, we're coming up to the end of our show. It's 9.55 p.m. here on September 20th, 2014. It's Portland. It's still in the 80s here in Portland. Pretty stuffy. Uh, two days before the fall equinox. It's time to get over this, this heat. I don't normally complain about the weather, but I just, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done. My favorite part of that Phillips and Flathead bit was the uh, look that said, you didn't meet my expectations. It Yes. Look at the photograph, whitetigerradio.com. You can see it. Uh, there's for sure. I mean, he nailed it. He, 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 he's figured, figured out what that look is. They are not happy people. And I think that uh, Phillips has given us a lot to think about. Uh, you know, inspirational, if you will. Would you say live your life to the fullest is his message of his dream? Well, I couldn't really get the full message because of the inappropriate fade out of Sonny. Yeah, I faded so out. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't actually settle into the message, so I have no idea. Flathead is always trying to control the music wherever he goes, even when he's on somebody else's radio show, and that's not something that can be allowed. It's you a can't, good song. It's a good song. I like that song. But you can't, let, you can't give Flathead an inch because he'll just take over your show. I think we all Sometimes know that. Sometimes maybe that's the best thing for him to take over the show. We're going to agree to disagree, or we're going to disagree to disagree. We're going to disagree to disagree. We're going to disagree to disagree. Okay. We've got more, and that more starts now with this story. Uncle Fritz was my dad's oldest brother. He was always a bit of a kook, one of those guys who thought the moon landing was faked and Elvis was still alive. But... He had a Ph.D. in biochemistry and a research job with a big pharmaceutical company. He smoked exactly one pack of cigarettes a day, religiously, as he put it. Cigarettes are my religion, he always said. 
Losing his life savings to Bernie Madoff kind of sent him around the bend, though. He stopped reading the Christian Science Monitor and the Wall Street Journal and started reading the tabloids. You can't find truth anywhere, so why not enjoy the paper instead of getting all riled up? That's my new philosophy. Only, there were plenty of things that still riled him up, like everybody. And like lots of people in San Diego, getting cut off from the freeway was top of the list. We never knew he had a gun. He didn't seem like that kind of kook. And maybe it was a recent thing, a post-Madoff thing. He shot that poor asshole through his closed driver's side window, twice. Then, without taking his foot off the pedal, he put the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger again. The wreck took out six more cars, five fatalities in all. Now, he either knows whether Elvis is really dead, or the lights simply went out, and it no longer matters. Sweet lips a little closer to the phone. Just pretend that we're together.
That's me and Mac in front of the bar there. She's the one with the white hair wearing the yellow top. Mac had just introduced me to a hell of a drink, Old Milwaukee and orange juice. I tasted it and thought it was disgusting, but I bit my tongue because I didn't want to tick Mac off. She loved orange juice, said it was the only thing that tasted like sunshine during the cold Wisconsin winters. I think this shot was taken the spring of 71 at the bar in the Eagles Club. We had just returned from the Women's State Bowling Tournament in Milwaukee. Me, Mac, Peggy, and Mary drove to the tourney during a nasty spring snowstorm. Mac drove a school bus during the week, so we made her get behind the wheel of my Pontiac. The roads between Racine and Milwaukee were terrible. We passed car after car in the ditch. Even when we could feel the car sliding, Mac never let on she was scared or nervous. That's just how she was. She got behind a snowplow on 94 and followed it right into downtown. Mac's real name was Marjorie, but she hated that name. We spent a lot of time together that year. We bowled on the same team and were in the Lady Eagles. Peggy's husband Butch called us Nick Knack Patty Mac because my name is Patty. The Eagles Club closed two years ago, and I don't bowl as much as I used to. But every now and then, I pour an old mill in a glass, add a shot of orange juice, and toast Mac. That was Tasted Like Sunshine by Sandra LaDuke. Before that, we heard Elvis Presley's He'll Have to Go. And the story that started that set was Riled Up by... Our very own Jack Miller. That's the last set. That's all the stories. We had 11 original stories for tonight's show. They went a lot of places. I was concerned that they were all going to be dark. When I sent out the fo- when we sent out the photographs, I thought, wow, it's just going to be dark. And there was some dark stuff, but it wasn't all dark. No, I, th- I think that last not. story was happy. They didn't, get, they didn't end up in the ditch. Knick-knack, Patty-mack. Knick-knack, nothing patty dark mac. about that. There's nothing dark about that. That's all. People had some good times in those stories, and sometimes people got killed. And that's and that's life. It's all about life. It really does show, I hope you've come to appreciate tonight, 
what you can do with 250 words or less. Indeed. Though I didn't count the words. And so Some I don't, people might have gone over. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't ask for verification in yeah. the form of a document with a word count. I'm not Maybe that. next time. Yeah. Now, now that I think about it, that's exactly what I should have done. Now, is Lion Dyke one or two words? Ooh, good question. Yeah. So I don't know. We I mean, don't know. I mean, there's so much. Right. So much. So what constitutes a word is kind of ambiguous. And so the whole word count thing is maybe. Uh, no. What n- constitutes a word is not ambiguous. Oh, I don't know what you mean there. That was a nice try. You just wanted to say ambiguous. I get it. Okay. It's fine. Okay. All right. I'm busted. Sometimes, totally busted. you know, before you go off the air, you just want to. Got to bust out the words. Say something. I said chastisement earlier, I believe. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still that. glowing from that. I don't remember that. We have the archive and, uh, to prove it. I, uh, I must have blocked it out. I'm sure and now you did. I know why. Absolutely. Well, we'd like to thank all of our performers. Yes, uh, thanks to everybody for coming through. These stories bear listening to audio. again, and uh, taking these pictures from long ago and random strangers that were just plucked from bins in some stores around Portland and turning them into. Some some really great work. So we, thanks to everybody. Thank you to everyone who contributed. And if you're if you're inspired by this and you want to get involved in this kind of challenge, uh, you're out of luck because we're not going to do yeah pretty this much just tough again. shit just yeah. tough shit. It's just never yeah. gonna We'll do other writing challenges, but it's not going to be this one. You can do this yourself, but it won't be the same. Uh, uh, we'll probably do this one again. You think so? Maybe right? You just we're not, but you just have to contradict me. You're in that kind of mood tonight. A little bit. I'm feeling it. Yeah. You're a contrarian. Okay. And there's going to be some chastisement happening as soon as the mics go off. Uh, I just want to also mention that our next show is four weeks away. It'll be on Saturday, October 18th. And that's going to be another live stand-up comedy show from right here in the White Tiger Lounge. Comedy night five or four or six or whatever it is. We need to get that booked, I guess. I guess we need to get it Time. booked. It's on the calendar. Okay. So we got to get it booked. Any last words, Shannon? Anything still on your mind? Uh... A nice, tolerant person like you probably did. Nothing bugs you, so you don't have anything to say. I'm not begging. <laughs> We've got one more song to take us out, and that song is by Billy Preston. Give it a listen, and thank you for listening to us. Good night. I've got a song, I ain't got no melody. I'm gonna sing it to my friends. in a while I've got a story ain't got no model let the bad guy win every once in a while when it go round in circles when it fly high like a bird up in the sky when it go round in circles when it fly high like a bird Music move me around I've 
dance, I ain't got no steps I'm gonna let the music move me around Will it go round in circles? Will it fly high like a bird up in the sky? Will it go round in circles? Will it fly high like a bird? Friend, when I go around and check out. 